and you have to work for a living, you have to watch out for your health. Everybody knows that if you're gonna eat donuts all day and drink beer, sit on your couch and eat chips all day, you're not gonna be healthy. And everyone everyone understands that no one can say, oh, I'm just gonna rely on Hashem and, and eat like a pig. Hey guys, this is Yosel Manicheri, your host. Welcome to From Forward, a podcast where we have real discussions with real people. Today we have the honor of having on Chaim Mendel, a mentor and a lifelong martial artist. Enjoy the show. Alrighty guys, welcome to From Forward. Today we have on uh, Chaim Mendel, um, also known as the Jewish Ninja. And uh, we're just going to quickly go into his resume. He's had over eight years of experience in karate, then a bunch of years in taekwondo, 10 years of ninjutsu. He's dabbled in Aikido, boxing, jiu-jitsu, Kali, Filipino martial arts, Indonesian martial arts. And uh, now he mainly focuses on Sistema, which is a Russian martial art, and uh, firearms. And he's a big fan of cross-training, very into mobility work, and and kind of making all these martial arts flow together. So uh, welcome. Hi. Thank you. It's great to be here. Um, I want to know if you could uh, just give us your background, where you're from, and kind of how you got into martial arts, and just give us, uh, you know, kind of your life story. Yeah, of course. I grew up in Brooklyn, actually in Borough Park. Um, both of my parents, their parents were in the Holocaust, and I think that had a big influence on how they raised us with uh, in uh-huh. regard to martial arts and self-defense. Oh, wow. My parents sent me to self-defense when I was six years old, and it was like there was no, no, uh, there wasn't option there was no option about it, it was a, that was karate no, yeah like you go to school you go to karate you do it was part of life kind of like a part of life yeah and uh, sometimes it was difficult i didn't always want to go but looking back now obviously it shaped my life in a very big way and i'm very grateful for my parents to for having pushed me in that direction uh, at the beginning i was going to the local y that's what they had and it was they were teaching karate there uh-huh. And uh, that was before the days of YouTube and internet, so... Karate had, was the thing then. Yeah, and I had no idea what else is out there. Uh, only later on in my life, when I was like an older teen, I started trying to branch out and see what's out there and, you know, start to train in different martial arts and bring it all together. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. And you were in, uh, you were in America until when? Until I was 18. That's uh, 2000. That's when I came to Yeshiva in Israel. And... Stayed. The rest of history. And you've, yeah. and you've been here since. Yeah. And then when you came here when you were 18, you went to Yeshiva or you, where did you go? Yeah, I was in Yeshiva. I've been in, you know, different popular Yeshivas around here. Actually, around, not too far from here. Um, all the time I was training martial arts. I started teaching around 22 years ago. Oh. Uh, before I got married, I was like teaching after Night Seder. And, and as I got more into teaching, I started um, taking, it started taking up more of my day. When I got married, I needed to make more of a living. So I started teaching more, like more hours in the evening. And then it just added a, you know, these days I just have my morning share in the morning that I go to. And then I start training people. Oh, very cool. So it became like a full-time career yeah. in Parnassa. Yeah. Which was really a dream of mine since I was young. That is really cool. A lot of people like they're passionate about something and they really enjoy doing something, but it can't really become their, their living and to make a livelihood of something that you are passionate about and you enjoy. It's really, it's really as close. It's really That's close. right. Very cool. And I was to jump into the next question. Um, what do you, what do you think are misconceptions? Um, do you think people have of martial artists and people who train and people who carry guns and, and those type of people? Wow. That's a great question. Um, 
One of the questions I always get from parents, especially in the more religious circles, is will my son become more violent? Is he going to start fighting with his siblings more or in class? Is he going to become more aggressive because of training? And at first glance, that seems like a very reasonable concern. But anybody who's ever trained in martial arts knows that it usually almost always has the opposite effect. You, you learn to relax. You, you develop a healthy relationship with violence where you're training in violence, but in a very controlled and friendly way. And you start to feel inner confidence. You don't have to f- prove yourself to anybody. And you end up avoiding conflicts more often than not. Uh-huh. Yeah, I feel like it's very true, at least with my experience. Um, with like in high school and before I started training, I would kind of like, I feel like everyone has either an insecurity or an ego and they're always trying to look to prove themselves and like puffing their chest out. And then when you, you learn to understand violence and the more you get into it, you understand how how, how deep it is and, and, and how, many possible variable, how many possible variables there are and how things can go wrong. And you tend to, you say you tend to avoid it more. Right, 100%. The more you learn, the more you realize how vulnerable you are. And the more you try to de-escalate and avoid situations. And, you know, the best, I always tell my students, the best ending to a fight is the fight that never happened. Yeah, I think there's a famous person in the um, firearms who, um, act of self-protection, he has a big YouTube channel. He says the, the fight you won is the fight you avoided. Exactly. So being someone who's a religious Jew and, and, and quote-unquote a Haredi Jew, do you face any sort of issues being in the Jewish community in Israel, being someone who, you know, carries a gun and is involved in, the, in martial arts? Do people look at it as maybe Kfira or people give you a weird vibe sometimes? Very interesting point. Uh, people don't look at me, I don't think so, in a weird way, but these issues do come up. For example, I was giving a class in, in my neighborhood. There was a woman, she was offering uh, exercise classes for, for uh, young kids and teenagers. And when she took me to teach the classes, she, she told me very clearly, like the rabbis in the neighborhood, they don't allow self-defense. So whatever you teach can't be self-defense. It can't be anything to do with fighting. And uh, I felt bad for, for, for that because I felt that the kids are actually missing out on a whole world of self-development that they could be getting from actual self-defense training. Um, so that happens once in a while. Um, and of course, many people have this, uh, this misconception about how uh, learning how to fight, learning how to, con- uh, how to defend yourself, um, how that in their mind contradicts uh, having bitachon and Hashem. Uh-huh. But it's a huge discussion. Because yeah, like, um, some people might say, um, well, if you do fighting and stuff, then you have a lack of emunah. Do you think you're in control more than someone who doesn't? So that's a great question. And if you think about it for even a couple of seconds, you realize that that's uh, incorrect. Because first of all, we live in a world the way Hashem you know, design the world and, and wants us to live. We live in a world of action, of ma'asim. Uh, and we have to work for a living. You have to watch out for your health. Everybody knows that if you're going to eat donuts all day and drink beer and sit on your couch and eat chips all day, you're not going to be healthy. And everyone, everyone understands that no one can say, oh, I'm just going to rely on a shem and, and eat like a pig. Probably diabetes. Yeah. So in, in other areas, it's very clear that you have to go out and earn a living. And even if you look at the, at the mitzvot in the Torah, um, 
we don't just rely on Hashem for everything. If you have a rooftop that people can fall off of, you have to, you're obligated to go and put a fence up there. You have to take action to prevent uh, different things from happening. Uh-huh. So self-defense is no different. And there is a, you know, this is a big discussion in, in all the Rishonim and Achronim about the balance between Hishtadlus and Bitochon. But if you look into the Rishon Maral and Rav Sadigon and many others, they all say that the way the world is designed is that you have to put in Ishtadlus. And actually, the more Ishtadlus you do, the more results you're going to get. The issue is the perspective. The mindset. The mindset. If you think that the Ishtadlus is the cause for the success, that's your mistake. Uh-huh. But if you realize that the Ishtadlus is a condition, it's, it's something that the way, this is how Hashem designed the world. But at the same time, I realize that success can come from anywhere. Just and like not necessarily work. from my, my Ishtadlis, that's the right mindset. Uh-huh. Is, and is that why you think like a lot of people in the religious world would avoid training, avoid go, going into martial arts, or you just do you think it just they think it's just a lot, like a, just a lack of interest? I think that's a big factor that a lot of people uh, avoid martial arts training. They think there's something uh, not not kosher about it. I think aside now that there's one one aspect of this discussion is the the bitachon, is it, is it kosher or not? But there's so much, so many other benefits to be gained from martial arts training as far as uh, developing the character. And, you know, we're going to get into that in a few minutes, but so many other benefits. Talking of, about besides self-defense. Aside from self-defense, that, that it would be, it's a big loss for religious people who, who, who are not training. Uh-huh. There's so much room. It's such a great platform to work on all kinds of emotional challenges that, that children and all people cha- uh, you know, face every day. And people just miss out on those opportunities. Yeah. And this is especially true in the system of Sistema that I teach. And even more so the way I personally try to give it over. There's, as you know, you're trained by me, there's always a big emphasis on self-regulation, uh, introspection, awareness of what's going on in your body. What, your, what emotions are playing inside of you? Are you operating out of anger and ego and aggression or self-control and relaxation and flow? And these are all concepts that many kids today are completely oblivious to. Yeah. And they never have that opportunity to actually relax and check their body. Am I tense? Am I relaxed? Because when they're not in school, they're probably on their phones or watching movies. Exactly. And we bring up all these little opportunities in training. For example, if I see a, a student... Uh, performing a technique and suddenly he he rushes he speeds up the speed or he's like you know makes an angry face i always bring it to his attention like stop think for a second why why did you suddenly speed up why did you tense up is it because you were trying to cover up on a mistake is it because something didn't go right and you're trying to force it are you trying to prove to your friends that you're good and these little opportunities are are like little diamonds in training where the student has the opportunity to look inside of himself and ask himself these honest, you know, questions and, and work on himself. Similar in some ways to working out or just people forget people who are into martial arts, people who want to work out and be healthy, kind of have that same people give them that, that same look of like, oh, it's a lack of a moon or a lack of, yeah. it's a similar camp. Yeah, I think it's even worse in, when people think about martial arts because of the violence element to it. People have even a more negative uh, outlook on it. Uh-huh. But you know, you should know that about 25, 30% of students who come to me are actually referred to me by uh, social workers or therapists that are working with these children. And 
they realize through over the years, they got to know me and what I do that therapy alone is not always enough. You need that self-confidence. And they need the, that body work, that body awareness that they can't do uh, with their, with their patients. And uh, they know that to complement that, they need some kind of ac body activity that actually will build that awareness and self-regulation and oh, self-awareness. As a matter of fact, I'm actually planning in two weeks to do, to do a workshop for therapists here in Israel to teach them some of the movements and concepts of breathing that we do in martial arts that they can actually integrate with their therapy sessions with their, with their clients. That's very cool. What was the most memorable moment in your career so far that you can think of on the top of your head? Hmm. Maybe you helped some certain kid or, or whatever it was. I never thought of that before. Uh, something that always, that always uh, comes to mind when I talk about this is I was teaching a, I was teaching a kid who happened, I happened to know his family well and his background. And one day I get a phone call from a therapist who was telling me, Chaim, I got to meet you. I got to see what you do. And then I went down to meet him. I showed him what I do. And he tells me that I, I, I treat this boy, this particular boy. And I noticed at some point he, a lot of his symptoms of, uh, he was having these like panic attacks and um, anxiety, these flashbacks that suddenly he would, he would, you know, his body would go into these tremors. Suddenly I realized that he, he's starting to not have these attacks anymore. So I, he tells me that he asked the boy, what else are you doing aside from coming to me? And the boy says, I go to this guy, Chaim, in the park, and we work out, and we learn this. And he and the therapist realized that there's something that, that I'm doing with the kid that is showing results that he's not able to, to achieve by, by talking to the kid across the table. And that just brought that out to me, the importance of, of what I do. That's why I believe so much in what I do, because it's, it's way deeper than just teaching how to fight. We're using fighting and self-defense as a platform to to go into all these deeper areas of uh, of the character and, and self-development you're saying that just one that's just one benefit of of training martial arts yes and the rest is, is probably you would say more, even more important than the exactly. skills of, of yeah. understanding violence and how to fight and how to move yeah very often uh, people come to me initially to learn how to fight but then after a few months if you ask them like why do you keep keep coming to training they're not going to say self-defense that's definitely still one of their priorities, but they feel that this is helping them, the breathing. We, you know, we do so many things in training, especially the way I teach, that that makes it such a rich experience. Like, you know, after each class, we all sit down in, in, a, in a circle and each student shares with the group what he felt is a key takeaway for him from this class. I remember that. Yeah. And it's not always, oh, I like this technique, but I, I felt like today I felt like I'm I need to deal with my tension or my fear. I need to relax myself more. And it's even deeper than that because telling, putting somebody in a position where he needs to express himself and his feelings and his thoughts into words and to articulate himself in front of people, that itself is something that most kids today never get the opportunity to do that. Uh -huh. And I see that as a challenge for a lot of the kids, but this is a great opportunity for them to learn how to speak and to express themselves in words. And That's beautiful. We live in a world now, like, Baruch Hashem, everything's very easy, you know, food, and, and, and there's no real physical struggles. You know, we, we get up in the morning, we dial in chakras, we go to learn, or you go to work, or whatever it is, and, and you just go about your day, and we go to the supermarket, we just pick up our food, and people who don't, let's say, don't do fitness or whatever it is, not that they have to, but it's such a benefit 
because would you say they because they're pushing through physical adversity and then other things even emotionally are easy for them to to break through certain barriers because they've they've conditioned themselves through physical training to overcome hard things 100 percent. i i always say and i always believe that training is building a bridge to life like you're learning lessons in training that will will have a positive influence on how you live your life uh-huh. and uh by by breaking barriers by breaking through fears by getting to know yourself better you're going to be more confident you're going to You're not going to run away from opportunities or taking calculated risks and learning how to be assertive, but not, but not arrogant, learning that balance between softness, but not being too, too much of a pushover, but not being stubborn and stiff. These are all uh, physical manifestations of important life lessons that we get to work on in training. Can you tell me about a time where you had to use your skills or even your skill, how your skills helped you avoid a certain situation or a certain altercation that could have turned into something? Yeah, so I did not I don't I didn't have too many situations like I believe that a person who lives his life the way he should and has humility should not be getting into fights too often. Something is wrong with you if every Monday and Thursday you're getting into an altercation <laughs> and so on. Uh but occasionally I had situations where I mean it happened over the years. Um you know, we had uh Goyim in America throwing like bottles at us and um We needed to do, you know, to take it to the physical uh, level a little bit. Nah, and I had know. some situations here in Israel where what they call Arsim, uh, you know, start, started with us. And usually uh, fights didn't take long and there wasn't much to be done. You know, usually one strike is enough to end the fight if done well. Uh-huh. But <clears throat> I also had many situations where the psychology of the ninjutsu that I learned Uh, help me avoid and, and de-escalate situations where just by changing your body language and your tone of voice of how you're speaking to the person could completely like, disarm him and, and relax uh-huh. the person and completely avoid the fight. Yeah. That happened many times. Are you able to give me an example of, of, of de-escalation? Like, yeah, there people, was... To people listening, like, what, what does that mean? Like, oh, what that means? Someone was gonna, someone was gonna start fighting with you and, and oh, okay, what did good. you do to de-escalate the Yeah, situation? so perfect, uh, beautiful question. So, let's say... You know, the average uh, fight. So a guy pushes you, right? He's in your face. So the natural uh, instinct that people have based on their ego and, and fear is that they push back. They, they, they feel, you know, what's going on in most people's minds and when they're about to have this fight or a situation, they're stuck in this battle between ego and fear. Fear tells them, you know, get the heck out of here, run away. But then their ego kicks in and says, wait, you're not going to be a pushover. You know, you got to show the guy you're tough. So why, why don't you just hit the guy? Because fear, I don't know, what, how, I don't know what's going to happen if he's, you know, if he's a good fighter. So they're stuck and then they just rely on this posturing um, attitude. I'm just going to push back. I'm going to show how tough I am. And in actuality, I'm waiting for the other person to get me to the next level of aggression where I can just overcome my fear through anger. So they're feeding off each other. Exactly. And each person is like adding wood to the fire to, to escalate the situation. And... On the other hand, what we teach is you pick your hands up in a very uh, non-combative way, palms forward in uh, this downward motion with your hands where you're calming the person down the way you would calm down your friend who's, who's uh, angry and your tone of voice and very apologetic. Hey, I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. You know, let's talk this over. And, but all the, all the while being very ready to, to uh, strike first if necessary and being ready internally. But externally, 
you have to be very genuine, really, to try to really calm the person mm-hmm. down. Because I, I remember you telling me when I when I, back then day when we used to train that that even if you let's say you, let's say you win the fight, let's say you have the skills and the competence and and even the confidence, and you go about it, and you you know you you get that good strike in, and you, and you finish the altercation, and, and you finish you know you finish the fight, but you just created an issue. That guy can come back with seven of his friends, and every time you're at wherever that happened, that bus stop or that pizza shop, you have to be worried about him coming with ten of his friends, exactly. or legal, or even if you beat the guy fair and square, and he doesn't have friends, legal lawsuits. Um, if you drop him and he hits his head on the curb and. A lot can go wrong. So. A lot can go wrong. A hundred percent. What you're saying is a very, very important point. There's, there's the tactical element of the fight, but then there's the moral element of the fight. Are you right? Are you wrong? You know, if you pick your hands up in a fighting stance or you push back and you uh, escalate the situation morally, you're now, you're not contributing to the violence of the situation. Uh-huh. And and it's going to have an effect on how you fight because deep down you know that you contributed to this situation. Uh, escalating and getting more heated, heated. But if you relax the person and you try to genuinely talk way out of it, if the fight does get to the physical level, you're going to fight with all your heart because you know that you're you really try to avoid it. You won't have that guilt. You're yeah, and there's the legal aspect of you know if there are security cameras or witnesses and they see like you ripped your shirt off and you push the guy, you know everyone sees that you that you are part of the of the problem. But if the cameras see that you're picking up your hands and you're trying to keep the distance and de-escalate, then obviously you're going you're gonna to have the upper hand if it gets to a legal uh, situation. Would you say that, I heard a statement once, that 99% of fights are, avoid, are avoidable due to ego. Like if you just drop your ego, would you say that's a true statement? 100%. At least 95. At least 95%. Yeah. Like obviously you can't choose that for if someone... If someone, you know, starts up right away and starts attacking you, but you t- most fights like you were talking about earlier, there's a buildup. There's this emotional yeah. dance that goes back and forth between right. people and it's, it's, it's each person uh, puffing out their chest and, and it escalates. Right. Most fights have some storyline, a background of why the fight is happening. And if you know how to behave in those couple of seconds before the first punch is thrown or potentially, then you could usually avoid that. Obviously, the exception to what I'm saying are the situations that we hear about, unfortunately, too often, where just a terrorist is attacking with a knife. So there's there is not much of a storyline happening before. It's pretty much like a blitz attack. Uh, so those yeah. situations have less of this element of uh, of the psychology and this interplay between how you behave. But most situations definitely have that storyline, and you could, if you know how to behave and manipulate that, you could avoid most situations. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And. With what's been going on lately and in, in the situations in America, like with all these mass shootings and anti-Semitism growing. And, for example, last night there was a mass shooting in, I believe, in Michigan in a university. Someone just walked into campus and killed maybe five people. I'm not sure the details. But do you think that Jews should should carry guns and, and train and and at least have one or two person, one or two people in each shul carrying or or do you think it's just a certain type of person who's going to take it more serious? Because a lot of people think it's just, oh, you just carry a gun. What do you have to say about that? I think every Jew at 22 or a nine. <laughs> but obviously just having the gun, especially if it's a safe in a safe in your house, it's not much of a use to anybody if it's locked in a safe. But I think if you have any uh, way of carrying and or having more guns available in, in shuls and, you know, in in places where people gather, I think 
we live in that world that we need that. Yeah. There are plenty of stories that there were one of these uh, shootings happening and somebody who had a gun was able to neutralize the attacker because he carried a gun on him. So I know in America, in a lot of places, it's a little bit more difficult legally to carry to carry a, a gun with you. Some of them, like states like California and New York, a lot right. more complicated. So there, I, I encourage people to look for alternative weapons, maybe more improvised weapons, carrying a good pepper spray or a beer spray, a beer mace that has long distance, stuff like that, or learning how to use uh, other weapons, not even a knife, but maybe a stick or a baton could do could do a lot of uh, a lot of you know a lot of good work in that hands of somebody who knows how to knows how to use them. So definitely, I think that it's important for people to try to carry weapons, whatever whatever is possible. Uh huh. And I just want to go into the responsibility of carrying a gun. <clears throat> There's like a cliche line I think I heard once that was like, "With great power comes great responsibility." And I feel like a lot of people think of, maybe I'm wrong, but a lot of people think of people that carry guns, they think they're these tough guys. Maybe those people do exist. They think they're these tough guys who can deal with any situation. Um, people, people don't understand that there's a big responsibility of putting it in a safe and, and making sure it's always safe, knowing how to properly you know, treat it and all the laws of finger off the trigger and being very safe with it and how big of a responsibility it is. Like if, if, if Hasashalm, someone shoots and Josiah stops someone and hits someone else, they might go to jail. So it's, it really is a big, big responsibility. Wow. You know, you have no idea how true that is. I had in the beginning when I just got my gun, I had a very embarrassing experience where I was training in a gym in this little local gym, not far from here. Uh-huh. And I was changing the bathroom and I took my gun down off to a change and I, I left it there. Oh my gosh. And I, as soon after I, I left, I realized I called the guy right away. I had him put it away in a safe place, but that just brought to my attention <clears throat> the huge responsibility of carrying a weapon. It's like, it's something that you have that you can never be forgetful about. You have to always be aware of where that weapon is, how far it's from you, if it's loaded. These are things that if uh-huh. you're not ready to take on that responsibility and that awareness, then don't, don't, don't carry a gun. And of course, what you mentioned about um, shooting somebody else by mistake, it just happened, I think, in yesterday's attack. There were a soldier I heard. I yeah, don't there know was the an details. attempted stabbing in Shuafat. And I heard that one soldier shot the other. Yeah, or... from what I've heard is there was an attempted stabbing in Shuafat, and the guy was trying to stab the soldier, and his friend tried to help and try to shoot the terrorist, but shot his friend. Yeah, you know, this is why people tell me sometimes they joke, oh, if you have a gun, what do you need all your training for? And they don't realize that there are so many situations that the gun is not the right tool. If you're in a crowded supermarket, you don't know who's behind that the aisle. And if you shoot and you miss, you may hit somebody else. Uh-huh. And so many situations could be like, chaotic where people are moving and it's very hard you know it's not so easy to shoot a moving target in a yeah, chaotic situation people, like i just want to say that like the audience listening people who don't shoot often and don't are not maybe in the tactical gun world but they think it's like oh just shoot him in the leg you hear lines like that or <laughs> just shoot him here like i don't think people understand how complicated it is to shoot a pistol even at a range you know where you're just chilling and there's ac and you have all the time in the world to take that first shot like it is it is really Really not simple. That's right. And now this is why I personally, I'm not, I'm not uh, promoting or encouraging anybody to carry a knife. That's your own personal decision to make with the law and all of that. But I personally make it my business to already, always have a knife on me because I know that I could find myself in one of these situ- situations where the gun is not the right tool and the knife could be a lot more accurate and uh, a lot more useful to, to neutralize somebody um, who who is, you know, about to kill someone or is killing people. Uh, but for me, that's my own legal 
and my own personal decision that I need to make. I have a gun license. Most places I go to, uh, I just show them the license and they let me through. So the chances of, you know, the law enforcement finding a knife on me is not that high. But legally, I know I'm, I'm breaking the law. I'm not allowed to carry. No one's allowed to carry a knife. But Wait, legally in Israel, you, if you have a gun, gun permit, you can't carry a knife? Right. There's no such thing as having a, a legal permit for a knife. You could have a gun license and be arrested for carrying a knife. That's so interesting. Yeah. In America, it's, it's a, they call it like a, um, a concealed weapons permit. So once you get that, that would cover a knife. Florida covers even a, a, a fixed blade or any sort of. Yeah, blade. I mean, it would make sense that if they trust me with a, with a gun, they should trust me with a knife. That is very interesting. And on that on that note, I also I always talk to people from the Israeli military about why they don't uh, give and give soldiers knives and give them training to know how to handle a knife. There are so many situations that I saw videos of soldiers being attacked at close close quarters. And they're still trying to work their M16 and try to shoot the guy. It's not, it's too late for that. Too close to that. And, and I know in the American military, every soldier has a knife. Yeah, they use a knife to create space. Yeah. And, and, get, for to, and certain, get to their guns. Exactly. Yeah. Having different tools. And That's right. Options. So I think uh, the military would benefit. And I have a friend now who just finished the military service here. And he's trying to put together a program and to try to incorporate that into, into, into the regular soldier's training, how to use a knife. That's very cool. And there's also like the the camp of people like you you mentioned earlier who are like oh why don't you just I just carry a gun like a lot of Americans they I just carry a gun I don't need any any martial arts training or anything like that like it's a waste of time but what they don't understand maybe and you can obviously elaborate on this is if they're not familiar with violence and they're not if there's any sort of altercation that happens if anything they're going to panic and go to that weapon quicker than if someone who's experienced that might just be able to de- de-escalate yeah and. Not only that, but the martial arts tra- training, because of what I mentioned earlier about the the emotional work of learning how to deal with anger and fear and pain and ego, all those things will definitely affect your performance also when you're using a gun. And if you don't have that training under your belt and part of your toolbox, then the gun won't be... The gun is just the tool. You're the one operating that tool. And if you're not moving well, if you're not thinking straight then it's going gonna, it's gonna to work against you. Well, uh, thank you so much, Chaim and Del. And where, where can people find you? Um, people here in Israel, Bakr, people who want to train, um, where can they find you? Is it an email? Is it a website? Yeah, so at the moment, my website is under constru- construction. Uh-huh. Hopefully, it's going to be up and running uh, very soon. But my email address is directcombatives, directcombatives at Gmail. That's the name of my website and my, uh, you know, my personal system that I teach. And uh, people can reach me on the through different social media platforms um, available. Okay, very yeah. cool. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening, guys. This is Yosef Manicheri from From Forward. Stay tuned. There's going to be a podcast each week. Uh, if you can leave a five-star review on Spotify and iTunes, that would help the podcast tremendously. Have a great day.